Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Celebrating the amazing people of coastal Mississippi and across this great state who are working hard to make this a great place to live, work, and play. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show. Thank you for joining us. This is the show that celebrates coastal Mississippi and Mississippi for that matter. And the amazing people who are working so hard to make this such a great place to live, work, and play. I, listen, we're going to jump right into the show today. No big speeches today because I I had the opportunity to have my friend Josh Morgan, the top hurricane chaser in the world, will remind you of all that he's involved in right now. By, by the way, I don't know that since I've known Josh, I don't know that I've ever seen him more busy than in this moment. And we'll explain to you why that is. But he's he's got, he's got success on every on every dimension of his life these days. But without any further ado, let me just say welcome back, my friend. How you doing, Josh? Great, Ricky. It's, uh, it's great to be back as always. Uh, this show is uh, it's a comfort zone for me. I always like coming here. It's my uh, it's uh, the only media I truly enjoy. So uh, thank you. <laughs> well, that's good. Listen, you've got a very successful reality TV sh- show that's airing, airing now, Mission Hurricane. We talked about it before. I'm up to speed. Man, it's so well produced. And we'll tell people how they can watch it if they want to. You're on uh, Hurricane House 2.0 now. You had leased in in, uh, Bay St. Louis, and now you're actually building a home that you will live in during the hurricane season. And I was assume, you know, at different parts during the year, along with your your continued residence in L.A. because you have a very successful. A marketing agency in uh, in LA, but but it is a busy time for you right now, isn't it, my friend? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I was I was just thinking that I've been absolutely nuts, and you really you're really up on what I'm doing, I guess, because I probably talk about it so much on social media. But those are the things that are keeping me busy. You know, Mission Hurricane, uh, that show. We finished shooting it a while ago, but you know, when you're making TV, there's post production and that takes a while. And then, so when they're putting together the episodes, I serve as a sort of technical consultant, making sure that everything's kind of accurate scientifically and everything else. And then <clears throat> promoting a show is actually a lot of work, making sure that people are watching every week. So there's that. Uh, and then, like you said, just building the house, I, I did not realize I kind of had this very naive, you know, I'm a virgin when it comes to building houses. And I had this idea that you just kind of, you know, you, you give the plans to the builder and, you know, just get the financing set up. And then you come back six months later and there's a house. <laughs> and that is not how it is. You know, it's been fascinating watching you because, as you know, along the way, we've shared some notes on what we did after Hurricane Katrina, um, we sold our house next door. We bought the lot, you know, that we live in now. We built our house here, and we focused very much on the gold standard. To, to you know, we we wanted we wanted to build our house uh, such that if we had to, we could self insure. And you know, incidentally, we've been talking more and more on this show. We got more shows coming up 
about the uh, unbelievable coastal insurance issue that that so many communities are facing today, whether it be here in coastal Mississippi or Louisiana or, or Alabama or Florida, or even up the East Coast. Uh, wind insurance coverage is skyrocketing. Business incur- uh, insurance coverage is skyrocketing. Um, the uh, f- f- federal flood insurance program that FEMA has put in place is put target rates in to make the insurance, uh, the the federal flood insurance program actuarially sound, which means, for example, Josh, you've been to my house, so you know, we were paying, we're 5.1 feet above the ABFE. Our, Our insurance was $400 a year before this new process started. And the new target rate for our house is $4,000 just for flood insurance. So, uh, Anyway, we've got we're going to we're going to debate with them about it and whatever. But the reality is, though, it, it, it brings it into focus this whole notion of how can you build a house so that it meets requirements, the best possible requirements of insurance assessment of your risk, so that um, so that you can keep your insurance rate down and have a house when it, when when you get on the other side of a hurricane. So, watching you go through this process has been it's been fascinating because you brought great partners into the discussion, and you're fortifying that 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 home. Uh, in a way that uh, you expect to have a house after the next hurricane passes, don't you? Yeah, that's that's been the plan all along. As you know, you know, I am like sort of a student of I'm a big history nerd. And so when I'm not chasing hurricanes, I'm looking back at the old ones. And that's one of the things that's always sort of gravitated me to Bay St. Louis. You know, I love that it's an old town. I love the history. And it's got some pretty incredible hurricane history, not just Katrina, but also Camille, second strongest hurricane in American history, and the eye pass right over downtown. So 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 this is like it's almost like to me, it's almost like building on train tracks. So so I'm, you know, thinking about that and you know, I'm building my house as I as I always say, I'm building it so I could, you know, ride out the second coming of Camille there. You know, and there's there's two considerations. You know, one is the 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 elevation you know, for storm surge and the other, of course, is how well it's constructed for wind. You know, there's always going to be <clears throat> coastal Mississippi in terms of storm surge. You know, nowhere is high. There's, there's nowhere is really high above sea level everywhere. I mean, I've been to your house and it amazes me that storm surge got up there. <laughs> you know, it's like I feel like we're really high above sea level, you know, and it shows what can happen. And <clears throat> based in Lewis and Waveland, same thing. You know, my, my land is 19 feet above sea level. <clears throat> Excuse me. I built another four feet above that. I'm in old town, so houses in this area aren't on stilts, but you know, so I'm about 23 feet above sea level. Does that does that mean I'm okay in every conceivable situation? Uh, no, it doesn't actually. You know, the, like a, another 500 year event like Katrina, I might have problems, but you know, there's sort of like there's weighing risk. You know, you have to kind of, you know, it's like I chase hurricanes. You know, I could die in any hurricane, but you know, it's it's also important to me kind of experience them. So it's like weighing sort of desire and risk. And you know, I like the idea of walking outside and standing on my front lawn and seeing the Gulf down the street. I like that. That makes me very happy. That thought and that 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 is worth the small risk. I mean, if I'm really really scared about storm surge and want to make sure I'm never gonna have any, you know, I'll build up in Hattiesburg. <laughs> I mean, it's like you just have to kind of accept it, you know, so so that's how looking at it. It's sort of a probability game. Yeah, it is. So when you get into as it relates to the the flood side, 
It is understanding what the base flood elevation has to be in order to get the most optimal rates, and then uh, and then building above that if you can. In in our case, we built 5.1 feet above the ABFE requirement, so we're over 23 feet above sea level. But you know, as you pointed out, you know that's going to take care of us for most situations. But I mean, you can't build to a Katrina. You just can't. I mean, I mean, I, I guess some communities have tried to across, across coastal Mississippi, and certainly Katrina factors into these incredibly high ABFE requirements. I mean, unfortunately, the experience of Katrina makes our base flood elevation much higher than other communities, which, which I always incidentally thought was unfair because what they should do is model Katrina for every community. You know, that's just because it's- Katrina hit here we get penalized right no exactly i mean here's the thing katrina not only was it you know an unusually large and intense hurricane but it aimed absolutely if if the master of the universe wanted to create a design a hurricane and a track to inflict maximum destruction on coastal mississippi it, it, it was like not just the size and the the wind fields and all that, but where it came ashore right at the Louisiana Mississippi state line. So the all coastal Mississippi towns were just right at the center. I mean, it could not have aimed worse. Like yeah. like it literally could not have aimed worse. So to me, it's an absolute worst case scenario. It wasn't a Category 5 as it came in, but it was a Category 5 less than 12 hours before. And what we found about storm surge is that the storm surge risk doesn't change as quickly. As a hurricane changes intensity, the the storm surge risk or or threat doesn't change as quickly as the intensity. So, for example, even though the winds, yes, they drop below Category 5 intensity and down to Category 3 intensity just before it hit Mississippi, it was still pushing a Category 5 surge. So... It was worst case in every way, and and the chance of that exact thing happening again while any of us are living is very small. I think there will be other Katrinas. I think they'll hit other parts of the giant U.S. Gulf Coast. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no doubt. And as uh, as we all know, and we'll get into this in a few minutes as we approach the beginning of hurricane season, especially for people who need to be reminded, and for new residents of coastal Mississippi, it, it, you may you may see some predictions that say slightly less than what they normally would expect. But don't don't let that do anything other than make you prepare, because all it takes is one. And we'll come back to that here in just a second. But whatever that conjures up in your mind, all it takes is one. You can share that now, and we'll talk more about that a little bit further down down the road. But what came to mind when I said that? Maybe Andrew of 1992, which was kind of a dead year, but that was a Category 5 that plowed into and flattened the suburbs just south of Miami. Yeah, no, no, and it was the A storm. Remember, A storm. Yep. yep. <laughs> Hurricane Andrew, late in the season, like that. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Josh Morgan, the top hurricane chaser in the world, who lives in building a house in Bay St. Louis. We'll talk more about that here in just a second. See you after this break.
listen live or on demand and watch episodes of the Ricky Matthews Show on your laptop, desktop, or your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His passion and love for coastal Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Josh Morgan, iCyclone. You can look him up on YouTube or any of your favorite social media platforms. He's there. He's really good at it. And you can follow him that way, iCyclone, Josh Morgan. Uh, hey, one more comment about uh, flood, and then we'll get to this fortification commitment that you're on and talk a little bit about that. Um, the, uh, the I mentioned that mine went from 400 to the flood insurance program, and the new target's 4,000. But what they did, I th- I've talked to a couple of experts, and I think I'm going to be able to have a worthy uh, counter to that. And here's what they did. As you know, I built a retaining wall, a large retaining wall, and then we put 150 loads of dirt into this retaining wall. So we wanted to build up so that the first floor of our house was at 5.1 feet above the ABFE requirement. But what they did is when they looked at it from a satellite view, they saw the retaining wall and they, they said that is the first floor. So the first floor is not actually there. So I talked to an insurance specialist last week, and he says it should be an easy case to 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 make. And um, clearly, as you know, we we to go in the front door of my house is one foot. You you take one step, and you're at it's all on one level. And then the back back, if you look at that retaining wall, the retaining wall itself. It's 13 feet high. So, um, and again, 150 loads of dirt we brought in behind that retaining wall in order to, to keep our house at a high level. So I think we'll win out on that. But the, but the point is that they used a satellite uh, to, to determine a lot of how they were going to charge people. And, you know, entire communities are, are now debating with FEMA about this. And I think that some... Some resolution is going to have to come to this because if if the majority of the target rates stay at a high level, what that means is that the cumulative effect of these increases are going to be unbelievable as time goes on. So it's not for, for existing residents, it's going to be tough. But for people who are just building and looking for insurance, they're going to start at the target rate. And it's and it's going to be there's going to be some big time sticker shock all across the United States, and when you consider the majority of Americans live somewhere near a coastline, it's a big issue. It's a really, really big issue. Okay, so let's go to fortification. So, you know, my house, we did we the did gold standard. So we our, our roof is literally um, screwed down to our, to, to our uh, cement um, uh, foundation. We have 150-mile-plus wind windows. We have 150-mile-plus roof. Uh, we have commercial grade uh, stucco, uh, and the you know the list goes on of requirements to, that you have to meet in order to get gold standard. But if you get gold standard, which we did, then it, you really get a much more affordable rate scenario. That's what happened with us. But more importantly, we put ourselves in a position where if we absolutely had to, we could self-insure. 
Uh, I know that's not an option for a lot of people, but the reality is it was for us, and and we don't intend to self-insure, but you know we never know what's going to happen to the insurance market. So this is something that we we pay attention to. You went on a similar uh, approach. Now I don't know if if you're literally using Gold Standard to guide you, but you're you've amassed these partners that are working with you, and you're leaving no stone unturned to make your home wind resistant, aren't you? Yeah, that was really important to me. You know, to some degree. <clears throat> Your elevation, it is what it is. Once you decide to build there and you decide the height of the house, then it is what it is. If the water gets to it, it's going to be a problem. But the wind is something you really can build for. And, uh, you know, I said to my builder, Bo Ladner of uh, Paramount Contracting, he's a very highly recommended builder on the coast. He specialized coastal Mississippi is his zone. And, uh, you know, I went to him and I said, I want to I want to make a house that I feel I can ride out any hurricane in. So like, you know, whatever hurricane is coming, I can just hunker down in it and feel good about it. And so so that's how we're building it. And we're doing a lot of things, you know, that are, it's a wood frame house, uh, you know, It's a, but it, we're doing, and some people are like, oh, doesn't it have to be concrete like they do in Miami-Dade County? And that's actually a little bit of a myth. You can, you can do wood frame and build for extremely high wind speeds as long as it's properly designed and, and constructed. Uh, but we're doing a lot of things to ensure this sort of structural integrity. And, and you know, some of it are just very small, simple things that add a little to cost but make a big difference. I mean, just things as simple as using two-by-six wall studs instead of two-by-four things like that. You know, what is the sheathing you use? You know, we're not using normal plywood. We're using an engineered wood. It's a, a product, uh, uh, LP Weather Logic. It has more structural stiffness to it. Um, I have a cable system in the walls. Uh, it's called Quick Tie, but it's literally these cables. They're like they're, they're like piano wires. They're really they're 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 drilled into the foundation. They go up to the top plate, and what they each of those each of those wires. I think resist 3,000 pounds of uplift. And that's the thing you have to worry about in extremely high winds is uplift. Literally things just going upward from the, the pressure changes caused by extreme gusts. So there's a whole system of, of wires, cables, holding down the, the, the walls into the foundation. And then of course uh, the roof, you know, it's being fastened to the top plate in a, in a million ways, you know, very thick rafters for the roof and then a standing seam roof, which is very important to me. What made an impression on me when I when I finally really became a convert to stand, uh, standing seam roofs was uh, in, in Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas. So that thing was a Category 6 sustained winds of 185 miles an hour. And after that hurricane, the, the I was in a town called Marsh Harbor, which was devastated, but the homes Single-family residences that had those standing seam roofs, man, even in those crazy winds, they stayed on. And, I, you know, they're properly screwed on. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, if they withstood that, they're going to withstand anything. And then the final thing I'll say regarding windows. Now, there, there are two routes to take. One is impact and windows, and the other is just having really good, heavy shutters. Um, I'm building in Bay St. Louis's historical district, and I went super traditional on my design, uh, which you kind of need to. There's a Bay St. Louis has an historical commission. They, they need to like the design. They, they can't just build anything there. You can't come in and do some crazy modern thing. It won't, ha won't happen. So um, I, I went super traditional, which I like. I wanted to do something of the region, but shutters to me kind of fit better. So instead of the impact windows. I just had these heavy composite shutters. They look really nice, but in five minutes, I can just button down the whole house and get it ready for any kind of crazy impact.
Hey, so listen, um, Josh, we'll, we'll get into uh, Mission Hurricane here in a second, but I want to make a really important point about Mission Hurricane because you pointed it out a few minutes ago. And as someone who has experienced multiple hurricanes, as I have, my family and I nearly getting washed away by Hurricane Katrina among them. When you come through an experience like that, the way that and then and then you build a house like we did, you are much more aware of what could be. You know, and I would say if there was a master in the entire world of what could be, it's Josh Morgan. I mean, he's experienced it. So when and what I want to do is I want to I want to tie it back to uh, saving lives. And this is the point I want to make as you were as you were talking about standing seam roof and and what you experienced at Marsh Harbor. Uh, which is a profound experience. And, and I would really encourage people, we'll remind you more about this in a second, to download the Weather Spy app on your TV or your phone and go watch Mission Hurricane. It's a Jukin Media production. They did a really, really good job on it. There's a series there. You can watch all of his, all of his um, chases. But I would really, uh, really zero you in to Dorian because at Dorian you get a sense of, Certainly, they had they had storm surges for Dorian big time. But the reality is, the the wind lesson is something you need to get. You need to get a wind lesson. So especially if you're not from here, and you say, "Well, you know, I, my house is pretty strong. I think I can. I think we'll be okay." Um, go watch. Go watch Dorian's experience to see what 185 miles sustained wind. What that looks like. What that feels like. And and then ask yourself, could your house deal with this and the 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 chances are probably not <laughs> the chances are probably not and so what i would say is go enjoy mission mission hurricane cuz it's a great telling of josh's chases it it, it 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 that in and of itself makes it interesting and um and almost terrifying i might add to watch but 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 more than that, if you live along the coast or you live in, in hurricane alleys of any of any extent, um, watch it with a keen eye on what could be, what could be possible, and that will change your perspective on whether you win, leave or not. People. People choose to stay based on some past experience with a hurricane, but every hurricane is different. And as A.J. Holloway said after Hurricane Katrina, that Hurricane Camille killed more people in 2005 than it killed in 1969 because people made decisions to stay based on their experience from Hurricane Camille. And Katrina was so much worse in different kinds of ways. And uh, so I would say that Mission Hurricane is a great opportunity to show people what is possible so that they might make better and more informed decisions about whether they should leave or not. Um, You know, if you had any other deliverable, that would be like sort of the ultimate deliverable for Hurricane, for Mission Hurricane, wouldn't you say, Josh? Absolutely. I think that's a good one. And I just, I know we're running out of time in this segment, but wanted to point out another great example was what happened, just happened in Fort Myers Beach with Hurricane Ian. Hurricane Charlie of 2004 probably killed more people just last uh, just last September than it did when it happened because Ian hit the same place as Charlie Charlie was very the same intensity but Charlie was much uh, smaller Ian had a bigger storm surge a lot of people died in it we'll come back to that actually here in just a second because the storm surge story of Ian was significant and it wasn't with with, with Charlie we'll, we'll continue with Josh Morgan after this break
Subscribe for free to the Ricky Matthews Show podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reminding you why we all love living in coastal Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I'm my friend Josh Morgeman, and uh, I never really know where the conversation is going to go, but it's uh, always fun to to to, uh, to spend some time with this here chaser dude. <laughs> what he calls himself, he's a chaser hurricanes all over the world, and he's building a house in Bay St. Louis. And hey, Josh, one quick comment about building a house in Bay St. Louis. You you like to run and you like to ride your bike, and I find you to be a really good photographer. You're 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 good at capturing sort of the essence of scenes. And um, because you have a keen eye for that. But, boy, Bay St. Louis has some beautiful scenes, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. No, it's a, it's a very it's a very photogenic town. It's I think that's one of the things that initially sort of really drew me in was um, was that uh, just just, I don't know, walking around. I like to walk a lot. I like to wander a lot, you know, just especially um, especially sundown, like as the sun is going down late afternoon to early evening. And, you know, you just turn a corner, you look at a certain angle, maybe downtown, maybe somewhere else in Old Town. You just yeah, my eye definitely will kind of frame a, a, a shot in my mind and then I'll bring the camera up and see how does it look. And, you know, a lot of times it looks really good. The colors change a lot, you know, uh, with the town, with the way the walls of houses look. And also, of course, the Gulf itself always, always changing colors. You know, every day yeah. it's a different color. Super, super, super pretty. Hey, listen, when we went to break, you were making the point. I made the comparisons between Camille and Katrina and how Camille killed a lot of people uh, during Hurricane Katrina because they made decisions to stay based on their Camille experience. And that's a very dangerous um, that's a very dangerous thing to do. In the case of, of, of uh, Charlie, small, really, you know, really super wind-packed storm with not a lot of storm surge that came up the coast and made that you know, that right-hand turn uh, was devastating for the areas that it hit, but people made decisions to stay based on that. And Ian was a larger storm with lots of, of storm surge. In fact, Ian, if Ian had gone further north, like it originally was thought that it might do, the worst-case scenario, the worst-case Tampa scenario that you and I have discussed on the phone before, uh, my goodness, the devastation would have been. It would have actually impacted America's economy. It would have been that big of an impact. Um, thank God we didn't have that. For, but for the people who were in the areas where it hit, uh, it was significant. I mean, storm surge went way inland, and people drowned that should not have. And that's the point that you're making. Yeah. Um, you know, I just did a, a sort of a hurricane prep tour <clears throat> for Weather Nation, where each day we stopped at a different city along the uh, Gulf Coast that has been recently devastated by a hurricane. And so we stopped in Rockport, Texas to talk about Harvey. We stopped in Lake Charles, Louisiana to talk about Laura. Then we stopped in Bay St. Louis. I told the producers, I was like, we got to stop in my town. And we did Katrina, which was, you know, quite long ago, but it was actually great because we could talk about the, the the incredible, incredible rebound of, of the Bay and also, you know, all of coastal Mississippi. I mean, I really, 
very proud of how, how much it's bounced back, you know. And then anyway, we ended up in, in Fort Myers Beach to talk about the, what happened in Ian just six months ago. Um, and, and Fort Myers Beach was the ground zero. What's interesting is it was quite far from the landfall point, about more than 20 miles. But that's where the peak surge happened. Uh, but like you said, folks there base their decisions on whether to stay or leave on what happened in Charlie 18 years before. Similar intensity hurricane, but much smaller. Storm surge in, in Ian was much higher. People died in Fort Myers Beach, and they were shocked at the level of the storm surge uh, <clears throat> inundation. So I, I titled that that uh, that day's report, uh, Past is Not Prologue, meaning don't don't assume that the hurricane that's coming is going to be anything like the last one you were in. And I think it's the big mistake that everyone, including me, I've been in more hurricanes than anyone dead or alive. And even I will make false assumptions about what's coming based on what I've experienced in the past. And one thing I, I, I feel like I've learned about hurricanes, but I have to keep reminding myself is like they're like people, you know, <laughs> they have all kinds of personalities and and vibes. And, you know, and so, some of them are uh you know, more dangerous than others, and you don't always see it coming. Yeah, yeah, I, I've, uh, and then of course, if, if if folks want to want to watch Mission Hurricane again, download the Weather Spy app and go go look at it. Um, you know, we've got the Weather Spy app. People are used to this now because most people are streaming. A lot of people are streaming now. You just go to your TV, hit the Weather Spy app. By the way, it's a lot of great content there. You know, just in general. But that's how you can have access to Mission Hurricane. And incidentally, the the work that you're doing for Weather Nation and this this hurricane tour that you just mentioned, you sent me the video that you did of Coast of Mississippi. I didn't have a chance to respond because when it came, I watched it and got busy. But uh, really good job. You talked to the mayor of Bay St. Louis, the mayor of Waveland, and uh, and did a great job of telling the story. I mean, the images are terrific. And it is it, it does say that in spite of that incredible impact, that this this resilient set of communities have, has bounced back. And you had a chance to say that, you know, say that. And that I know that gives you a lot of pride because this is now your home. But it also happens to be true. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I didn't feel like I was just saying it because I'm a resident. I think that, you know, Mississippi, coastal Mississippi is, you know, uh, to me, it's a gold standard in terms of resilience and just not just bouncing back, but like roaring back. I mean, you know, you look at, you know, not just Bay St. Louis, but the entire coast, you know, there's just this feeling of like a flower blooming, you know, it's just, it feels, I don't know, there's such an upbeat feeling. I mean, I guess like all the construction, you know, can get annoying. And I, and I, I was worried about, you know, my construction being annoying to my neighbors but you know it's a sign of you know it's like it's like boomtown you know it's like it's uh i think a lot of people you know we've talked about this before but the um you know the slogan for coastal mississippi the secret coast it's such a it's such a good slogan because because it is like I think you know a lot of people don't realize how awesome it is here and and you know, selfishly now that I've discovered it maybe I don't want too many others <laughs> to hey, discover so it. I don't time, want it to get too crowded. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. It's, it's not so much a secret anymore, particularly yeah. Hancock County. Yeah, um, yeah. No, and Hancock County is probably the biggest secret because I think you know people. I know that there it has you know people. Yeah, you know, there's sometimes I hear jokes about it, but I think you know Hancock County in particular is really, I think, really blooming. For for sure. Um, so look, uh, the last time we talked, um, you weren't you know you you were confident that the Weather Nation gig would continue, but I think you you're still trying to work through all that. I'm assuming you worked it all out because now you're doing this tour. What's the latest with Weather Nation? 
Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm back on with them again uh, this year. We were you know, able to kind of reach agreement and that's good. And uh, we kicked off the year with this hurricane uh, prep tour, like I was saying before, uh, just sort of going along the Gulf Coast and trying to sort of in each community you know, look at where they are in their recovery from a recent hurricane cataclysm, and then also uh, pulling lessons from it that are helpful to everyone along the Gulf or the East Coast. We just finished that. That was probably the toughest week of my life in terms of, I mean, it was nonstop writing, rehearsing, shooting, interviewing, and then like five hours of driving, six hours of driving each night, checking in late to a hotel, three hours of sleep, get up at five, start again. It was like five days of that. <laughs> Let's run ragged. I don't think you could see it in the uh, in, in any of the reports, but uh, it was a tough week. Man, when Saturday came, I was like, oh, thank God. I just like slept late. Well, for folks who haven't heard me talk about Weather Nation before, you can also you can find it on a lot of the, you know, the the base cable programs. But if you don't have it, you can download that app as well, and it's a, it's a nice alternative to the Weather Channel. And uh, it, it, you know, it's been around for a while, but as as Josh and I've talked before, it's got kind of a startup mentality. They're willing to try stuff and. A lot of good content, a lot of uh, you know, really, really reliable weather re- weather forecasting and weather covering weather events, so to speak. And uh, it's just turned out to be a nice little marriage for you, hasn't it? Yeah, and and I think you bring up the reason that it has been, which is that kind of startup mentality. It's it allows me to be entrepreneurial and creative, and to just try new things and just and get those experiments on TV. The Hurricane Prep Tour was a. Uh, an idea uh, my producer Ben McMillan and I just kind of thought it up this spring. We pitched it to the uh, to the you know the network heads and they said, yeah, go for it. And then we just we had a lot of creative latitude to do something new to create something new and it was very exciting and you know it just feels good to create new stuff to break out of the formulas and then to just and to get it on TV and then to you know just 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 get it out there. It feels really good. Other TV networks I've worked with don't allow that level of creativity or kind of entrepreneurship or experimentation. Yes, yeah, very top down. I, I learned I learned that really well after Hurricane Katrina. They would be sent to do a story that's framed like this, and their frame from New York was completely wrong. And when the reporters would get here, they would say, oh, my gosh, you know, that doesn't fit. And you would explain to them, and you would think, okay, you've made your point. They're going to change the frame of the story. No, they didn't. They continued to do the story just like they have it framed, uh, even though the frame on it was wrong, but uh, just top down. And that you know, I mean, you've seen that a thousand times, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and I, even for me, you know, I had an idea of what some of these stories should be about. And then when I got to each town, you know, it might, uh, I wouldn't say I had misconceptions, but the story evolved based on what I was actually sort of seeing. And and I think that's important, you know, as a storyteller or as like a journalist, which I guess I can call myself, you know, I don't yeah, think of myself yeah. as a journalist, but I guess I am. You know, you got to really just don't, you know, don't discount things that don't fit into the narrative you came in with. No doubt about that, man. No doubt. <laughs> Keep an open mind. You want to get the story as right as you possibly can. Hey, when we come back on the other side, we'll continue our conversation with Josh Morgan, the top hurricane chaser in the world. We'll see you after this. You 
can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Josh Morgan, who I really enjoy spending time with. As I've said many times, we uh, when we got together the first year I had this show, he had chosen right at the beginning of the pandemic had chosen to go to Bay St. Louis and and rent a Hurricane House 1.0. He's building 2.0 now. Um, we had him on the show. He and I kind of struck a friendship. And uh, it's been sort of like that ever since. We enjoy spending time together. He's a smart guy. Been all over the world. I love his perspective and uh, enjoy spending time with him. He, he, people have asked, and for, if this is the first time you've heard us talk, um, you know, he, he, he could do this for a living. He does this for a living. This is an important business for him, for sure. It, it probably started out as a hobby and turned into this massive thing that he's involved in now. But on top of that, he has an incredibly successful marketing slash branding company in L.A. called Simblaze that he and his partner do. It enables him to actually travel. He can do a lot of his work remotely. He's got a partner that's, 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 uh, has his feet on the ground in L.A. But some of the some of the some really really large companies they do work for, and that's been really good for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I mean, I think that the the important thing for me is, you know, I, I think deep down I was always sort of designing my life to be, you know, everyone has different priorities in life. For some, it's love. For some, it's money. For some, it's, you know, there's just different things. For me, I would say number one thing is just freedom. You know, I'm kind of this, you know, I'm kind of wild animal. I, I want to have the life where I could just, you know, jump on a plane to Taiwan in the middle of the night because there's a typhoon coming. So so having a consultancy and, you know, and, and being my own boss gives me that flexibility. And I enjoy what I do, you know, branding, you know, kind of helping, you know, companies and entities figure out their identity. What is it? What does it look like? What's the voice? What's the vibe? That stuff is intellectually really stimulating for me. I really, I enjoy the work. It's like these creative puzzles. And uh, actually speaking of that, I was, um, you know, you and I, because we have, we have not, for whatever reason, we have not managed to get dinner in our calendars. We just can't seem to figure it out. So I got to ask you on the air. I got to call you out. What's with this rebranding? What, what happened with Coast View? I, I'm, I'm curious and I hate to put you on the spot on air, but I want to know no, what no, is the fine. genesis it's, of this it's, rebranding. It's, it's fine. Um, Coastview, great, great show. Served us well. The name served us well for three years. What a what a terrific name. View, French for the visual perception of a region. That's one of the meanings of view, V-U-E. What we found, though, is that when new people came to the show, they didn't know what view meant. And so there was a little bit of confusion about that. People who'd been with us from the beginning, they got it. Coast View, no big deal. The other thing is I don't get out in public too often, but when I do, it might be like the One Coast Awards or something like that. And people tend to introduce me as as at Ricky's show or they talk about Ricky or Ricky Matthews show. And, you know, after a lot of internal conversations about it, we finally just said, you know what, let's just simplify it. You know, it, I mean, it is my show that's – how people refer to it, and we'll we'll do away with the sort of the confusion of what view really means, and that's what was behind it. So it's just to, as a branding guy, should have actually you know done me. I should have reached out to you and say, hey, what do you think about this? This is something we're talking about doing. Uh, you probably would have been supportive, I guess, huh? 
Yeah, no, and, and your reasoning sounds really logical. I mean, one, I mean, I'll, I'll throw in two buzzwords. One is you were you're experiencing brand fragmentation. So there was Coast View, but then there was your name. People weren't understanding how those things came together. So you had fragmentation, and then you decided that what you're going to do is you're going to build on the brand equity that you have in in your name, Ricky Matthews, and kind of use that. So so just to throw in the consultant buzzwords, the five dollar words there. But I think it sounds like a common sense. It sounds very common sense to me, and it really simplifies things now, it sounds like, in terms of you just talking about the show and making sure people understand it is you. So we checked the Josh box. That's that's cool. We did that. <laughs> hey, so listen, uh, you're you're not a uh, you're not a, uh, um, um, a guy who literally focuses on predicting what the season is going to be. You leave that up to the experts. But the experts are saying slightly below normal. Um, but again, as I always like to point out, people might hear that. Don't let that influence you in any way. As June 1st gets here, people should be preparing for a hurricane season, should, should they not? Yeah, exactly. And I'll tell you, like I, I do, I'm not a seasonal predictor, but I do look at it. And, you know, there is this tug of war between <clears throat> El Nino, the likely El Nino, which suppresses Atlantic activity, which is a good thing for the United States because all the hurricanes that hit the U.S. come from the Atlantic, um, versus the sea surface temperatures, which are very high. And actually, before I came on, the last thing I did before I came on air was I looked at the sea surface temperature anomalies, which is a map of it, it, it's color coded showing how high above or below normal the sea surface temperatures are. And I'm telling you, the Gulf is very warm, including right off Louisiana and Mississippi. You know, it's funny, a few weeks ago, Louisiana, Mississippi, the water right offshore was kind of cool. Now it's very warm. It's all changed. So there's a tug of war between those things. And what that says is the Gulf is there. It's primed and ready to go. You know, if the El Nino, um, even if there's a strong El Nino, um, if there's a break in those kind of unfavorable conditions, something can just pop up. So I think just as usual, I mean, it sounds like such a cliche, but <laughs> we always got to be ready, especially on the Gulf Coast. Hey, we're running out of time, but I was offshore this past weekend. We went about 65, 70 miles offshore, and the fishing was amazing. And But my son Jordan made the observation when we got back. It would, didn't feel like May. It would, the, the Because of the water temperature, water temperature is what usually turns the fish bite on. It felt like summer already. It felt The bite felt like summer. The, the activity, what we caught, felt like summer. And that's an indication of what you just pointed out, that the, the, the sea surface temperatures are higher than normal, and that's not a good harbinger. Um, we'll just have to watch it closely. Hey, Josh Morgan, it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you, my friend. Ricky, it's always awesome to come back here. Thank you. You bet. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.